It's hungtgirl.com, spelled just like my name here. You can click on the pictures there. They are actually free videos. I update them every week. And you'll get more videos if you check them out on a laptop or old school computer. Just make sure you enable the Adobe plugins. It's free to do that. And the videos will automatically start playing for you that way. You can get a subscription, check out me and my friends, you can make a donation, contributions are very much appreciated, or you can just enjoy the free content, all of the above, I'm very thankful for. Thank you for checking it out. You can also check out the Naked Truth and the Living Water Chapel pages there on my site, hungtgirl.com, and see what we do here. You'll get an idea of what we cover. For most of the site, it's about the physical, sexual side of me, and it exists in all of us, no denying that. Very few people don't tap into that side of themselves, but this part, the naked truth, is about the spiritual side that I also believe exists in all of us, whether we tap into it or not. And um, personally, I consider myself, self-identify as a red-letter Christian. A Christian primarily, but a red-letter Christian specifically, meaning I believe it's named for Christ, Christianity is, so Christ should get the last word on any given topic, particularly if he took the time to cover it and gave his life to bring us the message. As believers, that's what we believe. At least that's what we're supposed to believe, that's according to Jesus. So we're going to pick up where we left off in um, the book of Luke. And chapter 17 is where we last read. And I'll just go over the passage that stood out to the, to me there first. And then we'll move on to chapter 18. Um, the one that stood out to me the most is probably the one that I've embraced the most since I've discovered, understood, am understanding myself. It's... Um, it, I was raised in a church, like I've said before, so obviously I know about the verses in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New, that condemn people like me and people who lie with people like me, as in sleep with us. Um, but what's hardly ever taught, probably the most under-taught, under-preached message in the entire Bible, which would welcome an entire community of people into Christianity instead of making people feel like they don't, they don't have a chance in heaven to get there, but only in hell, would be this one. It's Luke 17, 34. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. So, um, but we'll, one more. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. So that lets us know that Jesus looked ahead and as controversial as you may feel it is, he's looked ahead and he said, this is referring to the end times when, before he comes again. And he's saying in that time, when those days, these times now, men will be sleeping with each other two men in one bed and even though it's condemned in the old testament as a man lying a male lying with a male is condemned um as abominable here you have it very clear straight from the horse's mouth from the savior's mouth that that's not going to condemn you to death it's just because you have sex with men it's because you sleep with men if you happen to be a male and sleeping with other males and i say males because i've gone over that before also there's a difference between males and men and that just like there's a difference difference between females and women there's a difference one's biological male and female that's biological you can't change that you can't have a surgery to change that you're either one or the other even for the people who are in between but chromosomally chromosomally as far as your chromosomes, you're either one or the other, generally. There are some intersex people. Um, and then physically, you can present as a man or a woman or something in between. And that has to do with so, so society, so psychology, sociology, that sort of thing. It has nothing to do with biology. It has to do all entirely with how you see yourself, how the world sees you, how you present yourself, that sort of things. Two different things. But the bigger, biggest point is that 
Jesus knew and looked ahead that there will be a time when men will be sleeping together and it be accepted. Women will be sleeping together, grinding together, no less, he says here, and also accepted. Whether you believe the one that's taken is taken away um, to damnation or taken away to salvation and the other left to be damned or left um, to be saved, whatever the case may be, one person's going to make it and one person isn't of the two. So that lets you know that being gay is not a death penalty. It's not a sentence to hell in itself automatically, no matter what your church tells you. So anyway, that's what um, we left off in Luke 17. We're going to pick up now in Luke chapter 18. Um, if you want to read along with me and God willing, be blessed. We're going to pick up at verse 1. All right, excuse me one second. All right. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, "So he's saying, oh, we'll just read it. There was a certain, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So Jesus is giving us a parable here. That means, like I've said before, it's like a, a fable, a nursery rhyme, a story that he's given us fiction to help us understand the nonfiction, help to help us understand a bigger." reality he breaks it down to something simpler like you would a child now there was a certain widow in that now there was in sorry now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying get justice for me from my adversary so here you have in this story jesus is saying there's a woman who's a widow and she's looking for justice and she's going to a judge seeking going to court basically seeking justice for her cause and he would not for a while but afterward he said within himself and I'm not going to read this part because it obviously I don't, like I've said before, there's power in it. I believe there's power in the things you say. So why would you want to say that? Even if you're reading it, um, it's enough to understand what it says. So he would not for a while, but I, so, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear, and you see who he is, he says he doesn't fear, that's why I'm not going to say it, nor regard man. So you have someone here who's basically, who would be either considered an atheist or an agnostic or just someone who's arrogant and full of themselves and doesn't fear, he doesn't regard people's uh, authority and he doesn't regard divine authority. He regards his own authority. Yet, because this widow troubles him he says there i will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me so even the judge there and it's sort of like some of the tv judges that have terrible nasty attitudes even though they're being paid millions and millions and millions even per episode but seem to still always be in a sour nasty attitude one in particular but not all of them but anyway here you have the same thing the judge here in this case in this parable is full of himself he's not thinking about what god has to say about things he's not thinking about what uh people have to say about things he's only regarding the, the fact that he has authority then the lord said hear what the unjust judge said so now jesus is letting us know now look how human nature is with the unjust judge he's willing to do something to help the widow out who's looking for just looking for justice He's not willing to help her because she needs the help. And he's not willing to help her because he has the authority. He's only willing to help her because she nags him. Because she's vigilant, I think, is the point. To be persistent is the point. Where if you're even having... Well, let's just read on. So, um, Jesus says, you see what the unjust judge said. So, that's like human nature. May not want to be bothered with you, but because you nag them or are persistent or vigilant, they may end up helping you after all. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night? 
to him, though he bears long with them. So Jesus is saying here, um, he's given us an example of how human nature is, how people won't even help each other if, um, if, if we see someone else is in need, even if the person begs for it, even if the person asks regularly, even if you know they need the help, still won't help. But if the person is persistent and nags you, you may end up going ahead and helping them out anyway, even though you don't want to. Jesus is saying that's how human nature is. So he's saying, now look at God's divine nature. Do you think that God won't turn around and um, hear a request and, I guess, relent to our begging, our nagging, our persistence, our vigilance, um, just like a human would? But um, Jesus is saying, the fact is, God bears along with us. The ones who call ourselves faithful and call ourselves Christians and call ourselves supposed to be following him and know that he sees the big picture and manages everything and will, would protect us. At least that's what our faith should be. So he's saying, God's showing patience dealing with us. Um, so how is it we don't understand that he might show patience in dealing with those with others who may be on our wrong side? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So Jesus is saying here that God will hear us. God will answer our prayers if we're persistent like that. But he's saying, but if it comes down to us just being persistent of constantly having to ask something again and again or nag for something again and again like the widow did, persistently going again and again and again, waiting, I guess trying to wear God down instead of having the faith to say, this is how I want it. This is how it should be. This is what I'm believing for. And then believing that God will do it. People rarely have that kind of faith. So Jesus, that's what I think what Jesus is saying here. He's saying if God just keeps answering our prayers because we're persistent or because we just keep asking and keep asking and keep asking, but don't actually have any faith in him or actually have any faith in our in our in um our receiving of what it is that we ask for and believe. He's saying when God comes again, when Jesus comes again, that's when he says the Son of Man, he's referring to himself in the third person, I believe. He's saying when he comes again, is he really going to find anybody who actually has any faith? Or is it just people who are used to asking and asking and asking and asking and waiting to uh, finally wear, wear the divine down and get what it is we're looking for? Um, I mean, but in thinking about it, it would seem like, well, why wouldn't God just answer it the first time? And then, then that way people don't feel like, oh, I'm not being heard or start to have doubts or um, wonder if God's even going to hear at it makes you wonder why wouldn't he just do that but then I guess if you just automatically start doing that then people won't have faith at all and people will, will probably tend to treat it like something something less special than what it is I don't know and he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others so that would be people we consider self-righteous two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector so in this parable you have one a Pharisee that's somebody who's super religious dedicated religiously another a tax collector someone who's generally despised and who people avoid the Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. So one person is gone, if you can picture it, gone to go pray, or we say a church, but if you, it could be a temple, a mosque, a synagogue, whatever you want to, however you want to think of it, someone's gone to go pray. And rather than make that time be about 
this is me time with me and God and approaching about issues that are on your own heart and things that you're dealing with with God. Instead, you turn the light to someone else and shine it on them and start instead of uh, and focus on what they're doing rather than focusing on yourself, even in your prayer time. So you could kind of see where what's wrong with that, how many different ways that's wrong. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. Okay, so we read that. Sorry. Um, scroll down. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So now the Pharisee, the religious person, the self-righteous religious person, is praying, naming off the wonderful things that they do for God um, or do um, religiously or do with religious intent. Because when you're doing these things and bragging about them to other people, you're not actually doing them for God. You're doing them so that other people will think a certain way about you and praise you for it. And Jesus has said before, that's the only reward you're going to get when you do your charity charity to be seen by other people rather than not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Meaning, instead of doing it super secret and anonymously, you're doing it so that people will know that you did it and get attention for it. And he's saying that's the only reward you're going to get for that kind of charity. And in this case, the, the religious person is there praying and rather than addressing their own shortcomings, their own sins, or whatever even issues that they may be looking um, facing, Instead, they're focusing on what someone else is doing and um, then focusing on all how holy they are, talking about how righteous he is with fasting twice a week. And, you know, fasting is just giving up something that you uh, enjoy or, you know, giving up something with a religious intent behind it. And the tithes, that's giving a tenth of whatever it is um, that you're giving. Like if you have $10, it'd be giving away a dollar. That's what tithing would be, a tenth. Um, so he's letting him know. He's like, God, I do this for you. I do that for you. Well, I do this holy thing and I do that holy thing. And he's there praying and he's saying it. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So now the Pharisee is standing there praying. Did it say he's praying it out loud? Because that would be kind of tacky to be praying that way around other people and then even to point out that you're not like them. Oh no, so it says he prayed thus within himself. So he didn't actually say it out loud. So at least that much is good. He's humble enough not to do that. Um, so and the tax collector now is almost ashamed to even be in God's presence and he come, he takes a more humble approach instead of saying all the wonderful things he's done, the dedicated things like tithing and all of that rather than approach God that way he approaches God with humility in his prayer and says just be merciful I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humble and he who humbles himself will be exalted so Jesus is saying there take the humble road stay humble keep it keep your humility Otherwise, life can or God can have a way of bringing you down to where you realize you're not all that. You have to um, keep that in mind no matter how or what you achieve or where you go. You have to remember a time when you weren't there for one and that also you could be right back to that time like that. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. 
for of such is the kingdom of God. So Jesus here makes it clear that he's not trying to keep children back. If anything, he's trying to draw the children in because he said before, it's with a childlike innocent faith um, and belief system, willingness to believe that you almost have to approach uh, Christianity and faithfulness and God and belief and all of that stuff because if you don't do it that way it's all just going to sound crazy to you and it's going to sound like fairy tales and fables and nothing you'll even be able to begin to believe in whereas a child hasn't experienced the things that knock the belief and faith out of people yet generally most children although some have through abuse and stuff but most children um, get to avoid that sort of thing and maintain that innocence where they're able to fully believe in something completely um, even if it's not necessarily true their imagination their um, heart their eyes they are able to embrace things that seem unreal whereas adults will automatically look for reasons why not to believe in something assuredly I say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it so I don't think he's saying you have to get baptized as a little kid I don't think that's what he's saying here he's saying as a little child metaphorically like just like a little child innocently accepts what it is people are telling them um, you know if they're young enough and green enough that um, the same way you have to innocently not go into Christianity not go into your faith system your belief system thinking you already have all the answers go into it like a child would not believing anything like that at all with no preconceived notions now a certain ruler asked him saying good teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life so now um, someone's asking him how do I get to heaven Jesus said to him why do you call me good no one is good but one that is God so Jesus here is um, saying is recognizing one he's saying in a roundabout way that he is God um, and that when the person addressed him as being good that he's accepting that but maybe saying it in like how do you know that I'm God how do you know that I'm um, the good one you know the commandments do not commit adultery do not murder do not steal do not bear false witness honor your father and your mother so this is basically a synopsis of the Ten Commandments that Jesus is affirming here. Um, although it's not all of them, obviously. Um, but Jesus is letting us know uh, these are the ones if, that you may... Um, these are the ones we have to include in our um, discipline of what's right and wrong. Excuse me. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth so when Jesus heard these things he said to him so okay so the person's come asking wondering how does he get into heaven what does he have to do Jesus told him don't commit adultery don't murder don't steal don't bear false witness honor your father and your mother so um, now the person's feeling confident like okay well I've done all those since I was a little kid what else do I need to do excuse me so when Jesus heard these things he said to him you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So Jesus is letting him know here the one thing missing from his life, from his acts, his works, is charity. He's um, managed to avoid all these other pitfalls, the adultery, the murder, the stealing, the false witness, and honored his father and his mother. But there are other commandments that weren't including, included here. And some preachers will try and preach that it's one of the ones that he didn't include here that he's pointing to, covetousness, 
It doesn't say that at all. And they'll try and tell you that it was through ill-gotten gains that the guy became rich. It doesn't say that at all. It just says he was a rich, young ruler. So you can't um, attribute any of the rest of that stuff to him. Um, that he's corrupt or that he's a thug or that he's um, been extorting money or any of that stuff. It doesn't say any of that. It, 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 he's just attached to his money. Um, just like anybody would be because money opens doors and makes things easier. It answers things, uh, I think is what the proverb says, or maybe Ecclesiastes, money answers all things or something like that. Um, so anyway, um, but when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. So that lets you know it's not because he had ill-gotten gains, it's not because he was coveting someone else's property or any of the other commandments that aren't mentioned. Focus on the ones that are mentioned. So he's noticed that he's kept all the ones that were mentioned since he was a kid. But the one thing he's not able to do and what caused him to turn away um, and leave and go away sorrowful is the thought of having to give up all his possessions, his riches, his wealth, his money. Because that's a comfort. It's a blanket. It's a it's a wall against... Um, things that come up in life if you need car repairs money is a wall against that because you can get the car repaired or even replace it if you get sick money is a wall against that because you can afford to pay for the treatments or doctor or whatever so money is a wall against a lot of things so it's, it's understandable how a lot of people would start to trust in that and make that their um make that the object of their attention but jesus is saying no that's not what you do that's not how you do it not if you want to be perfect. Um, let's see. So, um, and when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, so okay, so this is the rich man who asked, how do you get there? And then when Jesus told him how, he was like, eh, and sort of went the other way. So Jesus, seeing that, said how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is making it clear here that it's the it's the having that money having that comfort that ease that makes it difficult to have any faith in anything else because the money answers so many things for it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god so we went over this in the last reading i think in matthew where we were reading there about um how some preachers will twist even this to say that um he's not talking about a needle he's talking about a needle gate he didn't say that. He absolutely didn't say that. And he could have said a needle gate if that's what he meant. But he didn't. And then besides that, you know that's not what he meant. Because if he meant a needle gate, there's nothing impossible about that. You unload your baggage. And you get back on your beast. Pass through and or pass through the gate. Get back on your beast. And then load yourself back up again. So he's not talking about ill-gotten gains. He's not talking about unloading things like that. That he's stolen. None of that stuff. None of that at all. Jesus is saying... That if you're going to hold on to your riches, then let that be your consolation because more than likely you're not going to get into heaven because that's where your trust is. And he's saying and it's easier for an, uh, 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 the, the camel to go through a tiny needle's eye um, than for a rich person to get in heaven. And that's because, I guess, having that much money is a huge comfort and faith builder apparently in the money itself to let you know that um, you're pretty well set. But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So that lets us know it's not impossible for someone rich to um, enter the kingdom of God, to enter heaven. In fact, he just told the rich man how he could do it by remembering charity, keeping those other commandments of the ten, but also remembering charity. 
at selling the stuff that he has and giving to the poor. And then he'll have treasure in heaven. And then also don't forget to follow Jesus. That's how you get there. So it's not just the charity. It's not just the giving. It's not just the following. It's all of the above. Um, but he says, so he says there, but it's not impossible. At, he says it's hard because he says how hard it is. But um, it's not impossible. It's, again, a, more of a question of willingness, I guess. If you're willing um, to put him first, and if he's willing to answer the prayers. Let's see. Then Peter says, see, we've loved all and followed you. So he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. So, um, and I'm just going to keep reading just to finish the thought. Who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So Jesus is saying in sacrificing the worldly things, you end up, like he said, storing up treasures in heaven. It lets God know that's where your priority is. Not on the things, setting your eyes on the ends of the earth, on the things that are in it. But instead, hoping, setting your eyes and your hope on heaven and trying to enter there and make sure you align your path, your GPS so that that's where you end up and not someplace else. Um, and he's saying and if you do that, not only will you get all the things you gave up and by putting God first, but you'll get even more. Um, and he says, and in the age to come, eternal life. So you get even more now while we walk the earth, but then when, you're, when we're done here in that age to come, he says then that's how you get to eternal life as the payout uh, then he took the twelve aside and said to them behold we're going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man will be accomplished so Jesus is giving a prediction here um, again letting them know things to come so that when it happens they can it'll affirm their faith so they don't just have to walk around constantly in doubts and wondering for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and be mocked and insulted and spit upon. So Jesus is even letting him know the process of the things that are going to happen to him. But also letting him know he's not deterring from it. He's heading straight into it knowing it's, it's what lies ahead. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. So he's even letting him know that death is in his future. But that it's not, that's not going to be the end of it. That's not going to be into his, the end of his story. Now, of course, I'm sure it's hard for them to believe that because anyone who knows and has seen anyone die, you, you don't always, you don't ever see them. I've never seen them come back. Um, you know, other than like people die in hospitals and operation operating tables and come back. But even then, it's not guaranteed. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. So the disciples are kind of in the dark. They're like, they don't get it. They're not understanding. And it, according to the editorializing here, who passed it on, because notice it's not in red letters. It's whoever wrote it to pass the message on to us is letting us know this, that, um, that they didn't understand. And that it was hidden from them. Doesn't mean that Jesus actually said it was hidden from them. It just means that according to the person who wrote it, the, the saying was hidden from them. But why would God reveal something to you and then hide your understanding of it? I don't know. Possible. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And, having, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So someone blind is wondering what's the hullabaloo, what's the crowd doing, what's going on. 
So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So that lets you know how desperate he was. He's blind, so he wants to see. But he's also a beggar. So it lets you know that he's in a desperate situation. And when you're, maybe you don't know how it is when you're in a desperate situation or in a bad situation. Then you really don't have much to lose by taking a different course. You can, Because if you're already miserable and things aren't right, what's it going to hurt to try something different? It'll only still be bad or it could be better. Hopefully it'll be better. So um, don't let those sort of fears stop you. But um, here, the, um, the blind man is desperate for help and he's crying out for it from Jesus. His opportunity. He sees it. Then those who went before warned him that he should be and I said see it but he's blind so he didn't see it but he recognized his opportunity and jumped on it then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet but he cried out all the more son of David have mercy on me so in case you don't know who the son of David is that's referring to the Old Testament prophecy that um, the David the king credited with the Psalms the book of Psalms father of Solomon the king that same David who killed Goliath, David and Goliath, that David. It's prophesied that through his, um, it's written in the Old Testament that through his lineage, his bloodline, God would send a king who would reign forever. And then that's believed to point to Messiah Christ Jesus. And that that's um, who the blind man is recognizing him as when he says that son of David. He's recognized him as the fulfillment of that promise, of that prophecy, of that writing in the Old Testament. So Jesus is still in command and be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? So, I've said this before, it seems like it'd be obvious the man is blind, he'd want his vision. But rather than assume anything, because maybe the man had a stomach ache, maybe the man had syphilis, maybe the man had a heart problem, maybe he was obese, God only knows. Jesus didn't assume anything, instead he asked him, what is it you want me to do for you? And that's the kind thing to do, rather than just assume anything that, because uh, maybe he doesn't have a problem with his blindness, maybe he's embraced it, maybe he has a problem with something else. So Jesus asked, what do you want? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. So it's, he says, Lord, so he's recognizing Jesus' authority, and he then follows it, follows it with that he wants to receive his sight. So that lets you know he also believes Jesus has the power or the authority to grant it to him or to heal him. Even if he's not able to see and know how. Just like, I don't know how um, computers and the internet necessarily work. I mean, very limited. But that doesn't mean you can't use it. Um, you don't have to know the inner workings of everything to know how to use it. Or to know to use it. An air conditioning unit. A car's motor. You may not have to know how to work any of that either. But you know how to use the key and turn it on and use the car. So similarly, um, I think Jesus is letting him know... Um, Asking him here, what is it? You, what's your heart's desire? What is it you want? Then Jesus said to him, "Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well." So it's just a word, just like that. Jesus gave him what it is he was looking for. He told him, "Go ahead and receive it." And he he um, affirmed his faith uh, and told him, it's, "That's what's made you well." And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all when they saw it, gave praise to God. So. Um, he got his healing that he was looking for with just the word just like that something that we all many times have wished for at least myself anyway that actually ends this reading and i hope it was a blessing for you i appreciate you checking it out and hope you'll join me again it's wednesday now so 
Saturday night after midnight, early Sunday morning, we'll pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Nicodemus, the Acts of Pilate. It's basically going over the trial of Jesus, all the witnesses, well, many of the witnesses, and um, dialogue and events that didn't make it into the Bible for whatever reason. Uh, that's Saturday night after midnight, Sunday morning. And then on Mondays, we have Matt Mondays, where we go over the Gospel of Matthew. We've already finished Mark. The Acts and Revelation. And just one last thing, um, and just since this reading kind of reminded me of it, um, we've gone through all those books and nowhere, not even once, did Jesus ever even mention um, several things that um, many preachers will try to preach to you just as a last parting word here. Um, that just aren't Christian. And you could choose to believe them if you want to, but if Jesus didn't say them, then you should really question if they're actually Christian doctrines and Christian teachings or not. He never once said Antichrist, never never even once. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts, or the Revelation, the six books of the Bible that have Jesus' words in them, his quotes in red letters, never once said the word Antichrist. So it lets you know that's someone else that cooked that up. He did say there will be false Christs, plural, not just one many and he said that throughout the gospels about leading up to his or after he resurrected and before he comes again that there would be false christs plural not an antichrist so that's never mentioned another thing that he never mentioned is the word kenite and it is a word in the bible that means sons of cain descendants of cain that's adam and eve's son cain it um, they're known as Kenites with the K, K-E-N-I-T-E-S, and they are mentioned in the Old Testament. So let's you know he had a family lineage that survived. But the thing is, Jesus never once even mentioned him, and he did mention Abel, but never once mentioned Cain or Kenites. So again, that's something someone else is pushing on you. That's not something Jesus said. Another thing he ne he never said also was the word millennium. He never talked about a thousand year reign never said that either and then the last thing that he never said in any of the books was the word rapture he never once talked about there being a rapture at all so again just be careful what it is you want to believe you can believe whatever you want to believe but if you're going to call yourself a christian then i would say focus on what christ had to say and christ never said any of those things so anyway that is this reading i appreciate you checking out and hope you'll join me again in the meantime wash your hands love your neighbor wear your mask and God bless you. Thanks again. Peace.